All right, hello and welcome everybody to another exciting episode of the Kanadi Experience Podcast. How's everyone doing today? Pretty good. Pretty good. I've got Nate with me today and Des again. We're going to get into some pretty, okay, I, I guess, how would I put this? So a lot of this stuff is kind of over my head, but I'm super interested in this stuff and I mean, Nate is so knowledgeable in all this stuff. It's nuts. This guy dives so deep into stuff. That's why one of the reasons we have Des here today is to help Nate stay on track. <laughs> That's correct. We, behind every, behind me, I, I've got to have somebody watching me. So thanks, Des. <laughs> but uh, let's, let's start off this podcast a little bit about, we're going to go into the importance of conservation planning. Is that right? Is that where we want to start today? Yeah, I guess. You know, and, and we, you know, if you go around the wheel, the Kanadi wheel, if you can, you can take a look at it on our website, you know, we had a real estate podcast and now we're moving on to conservation planning and education. And what, what is it? You know, it's a prime example of I met a guy named Bill. Um, this is the best way to explain it. Um, near Mille Lacs Lake and, uh, in central Minnesota. I met him this spring putting in some trees. So I arrived at the site um, met Bill, found out he was from my hometown, which I didn't know prior to this. Um, got out of the truck, and I was helping our field staff put some trees in. And I said, okay, where do you want the trees, Bill? And he's like, I don't know. So to me, you know, that's the best way to explain conservation planning. I said, Bill, you know what you need? You need a, you need a conservation plan. You need a plan of action of, as to where you're putting the trees and why. And I told him it wasn't just trees. I said, it's grassland. I said, it's food plots because those guys are interested in hunting i said so it really really dives deep into you know putting having a purpose for everything that you do on your land and that's essentially what conservation planning is you know i do a lot of talking across the midwest mostly in, in the state of minnesota but i talk a little bit about the three factors of decision making when it comes to land use decisions and and those three factors are social economic and environmental considerations and those are the three most important factors in conservation planning. When you think about why you have a plan, you know, why do we start with a plan? You know, like you don't just, uh, the best way, the other way I can describe this is imagine building a house and you have no floor plan. You just start building. Yeah. Well, that sounds like my kind of construction. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, go. we got seven boards here, you know, and it, but my point is, is that how do you start that house construction without a plan? Right. And land is no different, you guys. You make economic and social and environmental considerations when you're talking about building a house, let's just say, or a conservation plan. How much does that home cost? You know, how many people are going to live in it? And what resources are you going to use? That's the same thing with land planning. You know, how many, how many people are going to use the land? What are you going to use it for? Right, What's the cost? What are those goals? And it's really no different. So... I know at Kanadi, you know, most of the time the landowners are like, well, where can I get the most money? And where, you know, they always look at that economic piece as being number one. But I think we should look at that conservation ethic as being number one. You know, why are we doing this? You know, you've heard me on, on a few podcasts, and I'll talk a little bit about that next generation. You know, it's not, not about us. It's about, you know, the people that we're teaching, the people that we're mentoring, um, you know, the next generation coming up, we're going to be talking about clean water in 20 years. You know, in areas of Western United States, they're fighting over water yeah. and there's water rates. Right. You know, in central Minnesota here, we haven't gotten rain since April. 
you know, and our, our lakes and our, our, our water levels are going down, our well, well levels and our wells are going down, you know, we're going to be talking about this in the future. So I think the ethic piece is, is really big. You know, it's just doing what's, what's good for the, what's for the greater good. So both in water quality and in, in water quantity, both on both sides of the coin. And planning also for conservation is a great way to measure, you know, what works and what doesn't. Exactly. So, I mean, and then within that planning net, you know, going back to the planning, you know, building the house without the house plan, you know, what programs are out there to offset costs? That'll be a future podcast, but helping us identify those programs up front so that you can achieve your goals with those programs in mind as you're working through the process. So for like people who haven't heard the podcast before, maybe this is their first podcast. Can we just kind of touch base a little bit on what Kanadi is one more time? And kind of specify, like, you're talking about all these different plans and stuff and government stuff. Um, I mean, you're not just out here for hunters. You're here for farmers. Multiple reasons. There's multiple things you guys do. Can we just touch a little bit real quick on everything you do for first-time listeners? Yeah, so the first-time listeners, Kanadi was established, you know, in 2019. Um, and we talked about this in our first podcast. And if you haven't listened to it, take a listen to it. Um, it talks about the whole Kanadi experience, and now we're breaking it down into separate sections. Well, part of that wheel, I call, uh, the first thing on the wheel is, you know, what is Kanadi? Kanadi really is a land management system that you put together. And the first, the first component of that wheel is the real estate package. So we do everything from real estate. So we're licensed real estate agents that help focus on, you know, finding land, selling land, buying land that fits your goals. And we did just do our last podcast on that. So Correct. You can listen to that if you're... Correct. In the real estate realm of selling or buying. Correct. And if you, then the next component is the one that we're talking about today is the conservation planning and education. So if you have the land, you bought the land, now you're looking to get a plan. What do I do with the land now that I've got it? That's essentially what we're talking about today. Um, we're going to follow that up with, we can help you get into any programs that are out there for you. So that's the next component of the circle is the, the conservation programs. And then we have an entire team that will do all the implementation work for you, or we can teach you to do it on your own. So we sell equipment, we sell seed, we can actually do all the work. We work with folks to do larger scale projects. And the last component of that wheel is that legacy piece. So we talk about gen things are very generational in nature when it comes to land management you're leaving a legacy behind to the next generation. And then we jump back into real estate. Let's find another piece of land and let's do the same thing with it. So essentially that's what Kanadi does. Yeah. I'm really excited to hear about the program stuff. Cause I mean, just chatting with you, like the programs that are out there, I can't believe how many things are out there. There's so many different options. Like your greenhouse thing you talked about. Yeah. I can't, I can't believe you can get funding for that. Yeah, we'll get into that um, a little bit in this podcast and then a little bit in the next podcast about the different options that are out there with, with landowners. Um, and yeah, it's just amazing the opportunities are out there. But a lot of times I get when this is, goes back to the importance of conservation planning, you know, and it, I, a lot of times I look at a landowner and I look at Des right now and, and she comes and says, I've got 10 acres, what do I do then? A lot of times there's a glazed over look, much like the, the look I see in Troy sometimes helping him understand mm -hmm. the entire system that's what we're here for. Well, and I think a lot of times people are like, well, I only have this much land. I mean, how much can I actually do with that? Or I, um, 
Yeah. I mean, like, so, you know, we'll get into that a little bit in this podcast, but it doesn't matter if you own five acres, one acre, a city lot, or 5,000 acres. I mean, there's something for you that's out there that, um, you, can that you can do. Just that little piece, you know, whether it's a rain barrel on the end of your uh, gutters that you can reuse the water and water your flowers or water your garden from. Or wildflowers. Or wildflowers that replacing your lawn grass. I mean, there's a ton of options out there. So getting into the whole uh, private landowners, the farmers, hunters, I mean, you guys are here to help all of these people in many different ways. Like, where can, where, where would a farmer start with you guys? What, what are we going to look for? What can you do for them? Yeah, so we, we offer a free consultation on our website. I mean, that's really where to start. Um, there's also uh, phone numbers that you can give us a call. You can do a quick chat as well. So, I mean, we have a number of ways that you can get in touch with us. I think the first thing is finding out where you're at and what your goals are. So a lot of times I have a conversation. And as you mentioned, Troy, there's several categories of landowners that we work with and they're not exclusive. You know, we've got conservationists, we've got, uh, agricultural producers, we've even got city residents. So when you look at all three of those folks, those different groups, and that's just three that come off the top of my head, there's a ton of different options for each one of those. But where it starts with a plant. So let's let's start with let's start with an agricultural producer. So Kanadi was mostly involved in a recent project, or was I should say was recently involved in a project here in central Minnesota where we went door to door. And we looked at, you know, riding side by side with landowners. If you ever want to see an excited landowner, ask them for a tour of their land. Oh, they're absolutely. very proud of their Lots property, of and it's awesome because I and I ask questions like, "Well, do you have any kids, grandkids?" And, and they get, should be. Yeah, they are, and they should be very proud. And then we look at options for them. So we that project involved the door to door campaign, where we went and looked at when through that conversation, we developed a land system for them or a plan. So at the end of the day, what they're getting is a is a legacy conservation plan that's going to identify the different programs that are out there and available for the landowners. And so often when I met with agricultural producers, they said, well, what about this lowland down here that's that I, you know, next to the river? I'm like, well, why don't you put a buffer on that, plant some trees, and that's where the deer stands can go. There was a ton of interest in that. So, and likewise, when I talk to a conservationist or someone that maybe is more interested in, in hunting or preservation, I might mention to them that, hey, you've got this 15-acre tillable field. It might be good to continue to rent that to a neighbor. Maybe you can coordinate, hey, leave a little bit of residue out here for a food plot for the winter. Or put cover crops on where they put a cover crop on during the growing stage. Let's say it's corn or soybeans. And then after that is harvested, now you've got another food source for the animals to get them through the winter. All that stuff's out there. Well, yeah, there's programs available that will pay for that. So it all starts with that plan and those private landowners that we're working with, we're just walking side by side with them, developing that plan, you know, and figuring out at the end of the day, when you go backwards on the wheel to real estate, when you look at enrolling in these programs and building a diverse piece of property, now that land is worth more, you know, that value of that land, because of those improvements that you just made from the programs that we found you, now the value just went up. You may never sell it. Right. And also what's, what I love about what you guys do is that you start from the landowner goals. It's not like, 
oh, this is conservation and you need to do this. And because this is the best, like, this is the only way for conservation. You actually talk to the landowners about what they want to do, what they envision. And then you find the conservation things that fit with that. Or we help build it. So a lot of times in a previous life, um, when I was working for another organization, which there were fantastic, but it was always a landowner came to the office and they would say, well, um, what's out there for me? I'm like, well, what do we got in the back for grants? You know, we would sell them what we had rather than build them what they needed. And that's the difference that Kanadi has versus, you know, walking into a government organization, which there's some awesome ones out there. But the difference is we're building something for them. We're looking at their goals and not what's in the back room that we want to get rid of because we have to spend the money. That's the, that's a real big difference. But, you know, in the last category I want to get into of, of landowners is a city resident. You know, we're working on a project here in a couple of weeks on a lakeshore. I mean, it's a little bit different than a city res, uh, property, but side by side, we'll look at that property and say, hey, have you thought about guttering your gut downspouts into a rain barrel? Hey, have you thought about replacing, um, you know, your lawn grass with native habitat? You know, it could be just a buffer. You know, maybe it's five, 10 feet, but it's, it's beautiful it's low maintenance. I don't want to say it's no maintenance because there is maintenance with everything. So just keep that in mind. But walking side by side with them, what things that are out there for folks. And even, you know, getting into a last category of just general residential landowners of, you know, Troy, you mentioned at the beginning of this podcast, hey, what about this greenhouse thing? Well, there's right now there's a big urban agriculture push uh, to put dollars back in the hands of people that own you know, one to 10 acres that want to grow their own food. So we're, we're familiar and up to date on all those programs that are out there that can help offset costs. And if it can offset costs, we can help find the resources for you to, you know, maybe do that. Maybe there's some loan programs out there that help get you going if you're not qualified for programs. Wasn't there even something you said once before about like honeybees or something too? Yeah, there's a huge push right now through through uh, and you know, and this might get into the next podcast. We're going to talk really generational in nature. Um, there's money for pollinators, you know, that we they call them pollinators, and there's a ton of programs out there that focus on that. But also, there's programs for beginning landowners. So if I'm a landowner who's just coming right out of school or I'm taking over, I want to build my old land base. There's a ton of opportunity out there. And by meeting with us, we have worked on some succession plans for some landowners. That means basically taking over grandpa's or dad's or uncle's or mom's or grandma's farm and then finding a way to pay for it. So Kanadi has a lot of expertise in the area of private landowners. And if people are interested in that, all they have to do is fill out that online form online. Yep. There's a, there's again, several ways to do it. One, you can chat online. Okay. Um, two, I would highly recommend filling out the free consultation online because then I can get a, a name and a phone number and call you back with a little bit of detail ahead of time. We ask for parcel numbers or location just so we know where we're at. That way I can do a little bit or our Kanadi staff can do a little bit of digging ahead of time to find out, okay, where are they at, what it's available, you know, so we can have an educated conversation. I think that's probably the most, I, the, or a phone call. But I'd recommend, you know, that, that form is a great way um, to get out there and get in contact with us. Otherwise, just pick the phone up and call. I like to talk, and and as you all know. <laughs> <laughs> what, ab what about the hunter aspect of, like, grants and stuff? 
Is there a lot out there for hunters? You know, and and contrary to popular belief, yes. I mean, if you're a hunter out there, that's another category that I call them conservationists, whether there's somebody that wants preservation or hunting, or they may be both. And a lot of times your con- conservationists are hunters, your hunters are conservationists. But um, right now with landowners, there's a ton of opportunity, especially in that in that realm of hunting, that there's programs out there to help them do timber stand improvement, you know, which means basically cutting down old mature forest and then letting the young growth take over. And there's programs that will help you offset that cost. Number one, when I say offset costs, they're essentially paying you to help do the forest management on your own on your own property or hiring a professional like Kanadi to do it. Either way, there's money out there that you don't think is out there for yeah, you know, go into the office or call Kanadi and say, Hey, is that is there anything out there that'll help me plant my fifteen acres of food plots? The answer is no. So typically that's not, but if you can incorporate cover crops within your agricultural system, now you're improving your soil health, adding organic matter, and you have a food plot on top of it. So again, those are reasons why you'd call us. And I think a lot of people want to know like a generalized, but it's hard to do that because every land piece of land is different with the diversity and the soil and all the aspects that come into those programs yeah need to be taken into consideration yeah everybody thinks well can we do a cookie cutter well there's no such thing as a cookie cutter plan conservation plan because as you just mentioned des they're all different the topography is different the location is different the soils are different the you know everything about it is different so it's all specialized to meet your goals and then what about like uh this we were talking earlier before we started this podcast about how like uh where i'm from the city started doing some planning around the area around their schools and stuff and their city buildings and you were talking about natural habitat stuff for different cities and stuff can you touch base on that a little bit yeah that's another category you know you talk about what who does Kanadi help well private landowners is one so we went through that with mm-hmm. with farmers hunters and so on and so forth i think the next piece would be government organizations, non-profits, you know, and cities fit into that bucket. You know, so often I'm driving by and I'm like, I drive by and look at these sewer ponds, you know, that have turf grass. Somebody's got to mow that every week. And in central Minnesota this year, it's usually once every two months, the way the rain's been coming. But the point is, is that somebody's got to maintain that. Yes, there is no, there is low maintenance on natives and wildflowers, but it's probably an, an opportunity to improve runoff conditions so you're not having water runoff faster you're not having somebody out there every week mowing so we we do work with cities you know walking around hey is there some city park property that you'd like to restore into native habitat pollinator habitat hey as a matter of fact we maybe know there's a program might be available to help offset costs boom you know that's where Kanadi can come into play you know, the nonprofit piece, you know, when it comes to ha- to planning with nonprofits and government agencies, it all boils, it's no different than working with private landowners. We're walking around, we're doing a side-by-side walk around within their city and identifying several ways that they can improve habitat with and pr- land management within their city. And the same thing goes with nonprofits and government agencies, wherever that boundary is. You know, we work with nonprofit agencies to help them with habitat plans and land plans across the state and even the Midwest. It just gives you that basis and that roadmap to get where you want to go in terms of your goals. 
just a personal question. Like, how does that benefit the city doing stuff like that? What does it do for the environment? Well, what it does is that now all of a sudden, if you have, instead of a city lot, instead of lawn grass, now you've got natives, it slows runoff down. So your runoff isn't getting to your storm sewers and it's not getting to your rivers and lakes quickly. It's not elevating the water temperatures of your lakes and rivers. I mean, th- those are all things that that as, are as huge. As well as like filtration. Yeah, so yeah. you're filtering and you're putting water back into the ground. So there are there are cities that have trouble finding water. So now all of a sudden you're recharging the groundwater, you know, with, with different land uses on there. You know, you know, there's a lot of rain garden projects and a rain garden within cities are basically you direct flow from your impervious services. And impervious means basically a hard surface. That'd be your concretes, your houses, the roofs. That's all directed or some of it can be directed into a rain garden, which could be consist of native habitat. And then it just filtrates into the ground and that stores water. And this is right in line with what we're talking about with education as well. Well, that's a right because yes. you you don't you're like what what does that help with? That's why like there's a lot of these organizations have these things going on, but they they just haven't got the outreach and the education and the and the ways to mesh the landowners and that piece because their goal is education and to get the programs in the hands of people. Yep. But we're kind of married. I mean, Kanadi kind of marries those two things. They do. And Kanadi does a lot of work with those organizations to do that outreach. So I do a lot of speaking when it comes to customer service and working with private landowners. So cities and and government agencies and nonprofits are reaching out to us to do some work where we're doing the the landowner outreach. How do we get to our landowners? What do we? I'm doing another presentation this fall. I got called last week to do another talk about how to be a how to be a people person in a conservation world. That's going to be my topic. And that's right in line with my area of expertise in social sciences and understanding people. But getting to know them and understanding why and trying to get to landowners is really the goal. And maybe these organizations, that's maybe not in their wheelhouse, but it's definitely in ours. Do you ever do any public speaking where anyone can come out and listen to you? Like if the listeners here on the podcast? Yeah, we'll, to- we'll, I have done some of that. I've done a numerous uh, hosting banquets. Um, I've done some talks specifically for program you know, and pay attention to Facebook, yeah. pay attention to social media is a great place to find out of the, the yeah. events for Kanadi. Yeah. Like us on Facebook because we are doing more outreach efforts where it's, you know, informational sessions on at, at local organizations. And, and I've done a number of them. I did one last week virtually. So if you do see that stuff come out on Facebook, you know, jump on because it's an opportunity for you to ask me a question and you don't have to show up. You don't have to drive there's some virtual stuff we might be doing in the near future, just locally, like, hey, uh, Wednesday night's going to be, you can see, sit in the comforts of your own home and ask questions about land management. We can pull things up and so on and so forth. We've, been a lo- we've done a lot of virtual conservation planning um, for in the last few years. Which leads us into the next topic. <laughs> well, I, before that, I was going to say, I'm going to start making my list and I'll jump on one of those, and I'll start asking you. I've got about 472, <laughs> so it might be a while. Yep, that's okay. We can we can answer those questions, no problem. But yeah, stay tuned to Facebook, and you'll get a little bit more information, um, and maybe we'll do a few more of those. So great question. But yeah, we're getting into the more tech side of things now with stuff and what Kanadi does with different technologies. 
One of them I'm kind of excited to talk about is uh, your drones. Yeah. So Getting into the drone business. Yep. So we've been in the drone business for quite some time. I'm a licensed uh, Part 107 pilot. Um, I bet if I took it today, um, I'd struggle a little bit. But I do my reefer certification. We do have drones available. We're using technology in our planning. So this all boils back to plans. We can cover ground a lot quicker with a little drone than we can on foot. We can see things that we wouldn't otherwise see with a drone you know, versus on the ground. So we've done a lot of drone work, a lot of scouting um, with drones to take a look at what's going on with land planning. So technology, so we're talking about technology and conservation planning right now. It's coming. It's here. Um, we do a lot of mapping. So I talked a little bit before the podcast as we were, as we were talking about this, about a project I just worked on last week. I was able to sort landowners in 15 counties in western Minnesota that own land 100 acres and greater and uh, all that data is public data, um, 100 acres and greater that owned uh, land that was in natural habitat. And I sorted that out in a day or so, and boom, got a list of 695 landowners and sent it to a client. It just gives you an example of some of the things that GIS stands for Geographic Information Systems. And there's a lot of programs out there, um, college courses, things like that. This is going to be an up-and-coming um, career option for folks. It is now. Like, um, there's lots of GIS. Yeah. So, I mean, analyzing data about where people are living and what they're doing and, and so on and so forth. There's a lot of public data, you know, where are the public parcels? Look at Onyx for hunters. Yeah. Onyx for hunting is GIS. You know, they've got a number of different apps out there. There's Avenza, there's Onyx, but essentially it's really that, that piece that that's taking GIS because I can go on to Onyx right now and I can say, show me the areas in Western United States that had fires in the last year. Boom, I click a button and they all come on. There's a boundary and it shows me where exactly where that's at. In Minnesota, there's things like timber stand improvement where the state of Minnesota recognizes where those timber areas are at. What was the pre-settlement condition like of this property prior to people coming here? You know, I mean, there's all that data is public data that I pull into my maps and we use that Kanadi to help help us kind of figure out, okay, what was the soil originally? You know, what was this area originally before it was converted to a different land use? And that helps us kind of figure out where it should be. What were the, what were the reasons why this land was there? You know, whether it was an aspen oak parcel or, or if it was an, always an existing wetland. So, no, it's GIS is the next, the next stage of things. Um, technology is the next stage of things. As we talked about doing a lot of these virtual talks, I do a lot of virtual conservation planning with landowners just sitting here, you know, sitting at my desk, having conversations with them and, and setting up a meeting with them just virtually and then having a conversation. Okay, what are your goals? What are you doing? We can do that. You can sit at your house and we can do that. So then are you guys, you were talking a little bit too uh, prior to us starting with this. Like you've guys got your own ideas on how to implement more technology into what you guys are doing as well, right? Yeah. So there's there's some up and coming things at Kanadi um, that that I, as Des knows, she's she's probably going to be nodding. She, you're nodding your head I've virtually. Been, yeah. <laughs> she's like, it's tough to rein him in sometimes. But the point is, is that I've got a lot of ideas up here that can help landowners improve the things that they're doing on their land. And stay tuned for more at Kanadi. I've got some up-and-coming ideas that um, will help landowners accomplish their goals without leaving the confines of their, of their home 
and having all the answers at their fingertips. So stay tuned for that. I'm hoping to to continue working down that. Yeah, I just I just yeah. want to say it's exciting stuff. It's pretty cool to hear about. You guys are going to want to know more about it when it comes out. It's pretty sweet. Yeah. But then uh, let's let's kind of jump into. I want to hear some success stories. Well, I want to talk about this landowner and I. Um, I want to end the podcast. That's a great question. Um, let's end the podcast with the conversation I had about with this landowner. So part of the reason why we do things in this world are not always monetary in nature. That means, you know, there's a value in money and, and, and finances and economics. And there's a reason why I'm in this business and it's not, not for just the money. Yes. Do I need to raise a family? Do I need to, you know, make sure that, that my family's taken care of and I have a future? Yes. But this particular individual in a previous life, uh, walked up to me one day and he said, you know, I just happened to help him that day. So I met him and let's just, let's, let's call him Galen. So Galen, if you're listening, um, you know who you are. Um, walked into the office and he said, you know, we started talking and the first thing I asked him was where he was from. And we started having a conversation about first developing that relationship. And with Kanadi, it's no different. When we start the plan, I want to know about Troy. I want to know about Des. I want to know like where you come from, what makes you tick. And I was finding out about this landowner, making mental notes about what his goals are. He would, he came in and talked with me and he said, you know, I've been spending $10,000 out of my pocket every year to fill these gullies in. So he had washouts and he was an agricultural producer. Through our conversation, I found out he had a young daughter. And through that, through that conversation and those next several conversations, I realized how much they like to hunt. So all these factors and all these things that we were talking about, I was making notes and job diary about. This is the conservation planning process. It sometimes takes years. First of all, he has to trust who I am in helping him make those land use decisions. So we designed a project for him that would take away the filling in those gullies every year at $10,000 a piece. And he had less than a $5,000 investment in that. We were able to find him cost share for over 75% of the project cost. No kidding. Yep. And on top of that, you guys, we built, we built a relationship with him. This was in 20, I think 2012. Since then, he's put in a manure storage system for his poultry litter, so he's not over-applying nutrients to his soils, and he's applying his nutrients, that being chicken manure mm-hmm. or litter, to his cropland at the right agronomic rates in the location that they needed at the right time. So I think he's doing that. Um, we also, also helped him, I believe, with a composting facility for those dead, dead chickens. He runs a poultry barn. Um, we're talking to him about cover crops. And when you start to develop a relationship and he calls me, he still calls me all the time. And, uh, we start to develop a relationship. You can have conversations like this. I said, what are you doing farming up to that ditch? I said, why don't you put a buffer in there? I said, put it in CRP. I said, now you got a funnel from the neighbor's land to your land. And you put your daughter's stand right on the corner of the spoke, you know, kind of the center of the wheel. He's like, yeah, I never thought about that. I said, yeah, you're, you know, everything. I said, I went down there the other day and I said, it's washing right in there. Yeah, you're right. That's fine. So he enrolled a bunch of his land in CRP, just the marginal cropland that didn't make sense to continue farming. He gained an income from that. And every year he calls me after November and tells me how he does hunting. But it's the relationship piece and the planning. And we've saved him thousands and tens of thousands of dollars 
from having to fill that in. He hasn't had a problem since, since 2013. So well, and that's the thing about landowners. No, nobody really wants to be told what to do on their land without anybody having any kind of idea of what their goals are or what they're using that land for, how much it means to them or what they see in the future for that land. Well, yeah. And uh, you know, exactly. And when we're talking about their land, it's sacred to them yeah. mm-hmm, for sure. You know, when you walk on somebody's property, if you get there, cause they work, they worked hard for that. Yeah. If all, you, it's not cheap. When they say, yeah, come on out. Okay. Now, you know, you're like, oh, I got, you know, like the sales approach. You guys are going to realize that I'm very personal. I mean, when you get a chance to visit with me, but I'm not, you're like, you're just a sales guy. But I do, you're going to realize after five minutes, less than five minutes, you're like, this guy cares. And really, I care about being on your land and helping you. Otherwise, as I said, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing. So at the end of the day, that conservation planning, that land is sacred to them. And we know that at Kanadi. Yeah, I, I keep thinking about once we get around this wheel, the Kanadi wheel, and we get to the legacy part, I feel like I'm going to need tissues <laughs> hearing him talk <laughs> because of how passionate he is about it. So I've done a lot of testifying, and you're like, he's been in court? No. I've done a lot of testifying in front of councils asking for money, and the running joke is they're like, hey, just send Nate up there and tell him about his old dog that died when he was hunting out in the woods and how he took his kids out there and then have him shed a tear or two. He said, that'll get us some money, but you'll see how passionate I am and Troy pick up on that, you know, because I do care, you know, I do care about the landowners. So totally. Well, cool guys. I don't want to keep you too much longer. I think we covered quite a bit on this one. And, uh, I hope everyone enjoyed listening and, uh, watch for the next podcast to come out. Sounds good. Thanks, everybody. See ya. Bye.